welcoming to the Keon Sports Podcast. A very special guest today, legendary wrestler Nikita Koloff. Put your feet up, sit tight, and grab something cold to drink. Up next, Nikita Koloff. Welcome into the Keon Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Vince McKee. If you would like to be a sponsor of our show, email me, Vince McKee, at CoachVin14 at Yahoo.com. As you've seen over the last couple weeks, we've had the biggest and best names from pro wrestling, boxing, and MMA, and bigger things are set to come. Very excited to have our guest on today, Nikita Koloff. He was a feared Russian, although he was a childhood favorite of mine. He was also a very, very scary man. We are so excited to have him on, as he truly was one of the greatest characters in professional wrestling history. Without any further ado, here is Nikita Koloff. On the hotline now, one of my childhood favorites, Nikita Koloff. This is uh, we've had a lot of big names as of late, but to me, this is one of my all-time favorites. Welcome to the show. Hey, it is great to be with you, Vince, and uh, I just appreciate you including me today. Oh, absolutely. So um, I wanted to ask you now, did you grow up a wrestling fan? And if so, who were some of your heroes and people that you uh, liked watching? And if not, you know, what about football? Because I know you had a football background as well. I, I did. I, I did have. I mean, I was passionate from really from uh, a young a young age. Um, I was just super passionate about uh, football. And, and weightlifting; those are kind of my two passions, right? I picked up a muscle magazine when I was age twelve, kind of fell in love with bodybuilding, and then started watching, you know, professional football on TV. And thought, oh, one day I want to do that, and that became my driving force really all through junior high, high school, even into my college years. And and I was familiar with professional wrestling uh, up in in Minneapolis. Uh, we had uh, the AWA Vern Gagne. Mm-hmm. with the AW All-Star Wrestling, as they called it. And so I knew a handful of the names. I didn't really watch it much. But, you know, you, you, you turn to the channels. And back in those days, um, I don't think we had more than three channels. I'm aging myself for some of your listeners. But they're like, what? what is he talking about? And, and, and there was no remote control. So you had, had to actually get out of your chair to change the television set. Um, but... Um, but I remember watching, you know, and, and some of the guys, and 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 then and then in in co- my college, my early college days, I actually worked out in North Minneapolis, a little sweat box gym called Ventura's Gym, which uh, for the wrestling fan would know as Jesse the Body oh, yeah. Ventura. Absolutely. So yeah, so that was kind of my really kind of my, my that was the first time I ever met an actual professional wrestler. I had seen Kurt Henning's dad at our high school football games, you know, we played football together in high school and against each other in college, but I, I'd never met Larry, Larry the Axe, so. Yeah, you know, and that, I guess that's the thing, too, um, you know, is that you had aspirations to play professional football, and here's another thing that's going to date some people out there, but something actually, remember, I'm old enough to remember, the USFL, you know, there was the NFL and then also the USFL for about three seasons. You had thought that was going to be your path, and then you met Joe Laronitis, who, as all you guys know, is, is uh, Animal from the Road Warriors. 
you met Joe, and eventually, lo and behold, you be, you became a professional wrestler. Can you talk about that decision not to pursue a career in football, but rather professional wrestling? Yeah, it's kind of turn about his fair play. The you know, the expression goes. I recruited Joe. I, I literally recruited Joe at a out of Iredale High School in New Brighton, Minnesota, to play college football. We became like you know like inseparable brothers. I mean, best of friends, and and. Uh, and played uh, several years of, of ball together. He eventually dropped out of college, and the next thing I knew, he was he was in Georgia, you know, as this as this road warrior guy. And uh, so I'd be over at his parents' house. We'd be watching TBS on Saturday nights, and and his his matches in the ring. And then lo and behold, I got a random call one morning from him, and he shared, you know, the idea of a a nephew for. Uncle, or for Ivan Koloff, legendary Ivan Koloff, the Russian bear, who yeah. defeated Bruno Sammartino in Madison Square Garden um, and, and created a riot. And um, yeah, and, and so yeah, and so um, you know, and I thought, well, you know, I'll give wrestling a shot. I mean, again, it was it wasn't really on my radar, but the door of opportunity opened up, and if it doesn't work out. Then I'll continue on the path of, of pursuing professional football. But as as those who know the story, uh, or if they want certainly more of the story, we have limited time today. But they can, you know, just go to my website, go to go to koloff.org, and they can read about more of the story. Uh, absolutely, and I would encourage people to do so. And again, guys, that's koloff.org. Check that out the second you get done with this interview. And listen, so I think one of the most unique things is. You know, a couple of things, you know, I've always said the Lord works in mysterious ways and, you know, things seem to line up for people who believe. And it's just incredible to me that we had this, this hardworking guy from Robbinsdale, Minnesota, and I would encourage everybody to look into Robbinsdale, Minnesota and the wrestlers who have come out of that. That's ridiculously incredible in itself. So not only that, but now you become this hated Russian and you have to live the character so how tough was it to stay in character every single time you left the house? Because legend has it, that's exactly what you did. I, I did for even this, even even three years after I left of wrestling, because I was trained by Don Kernodal and Ivan Koloff and some of the best of the best, uh, old school, old school, where you protected the business. And so I, I carried that accent forward for three years after I left wrestling as well. And I just made up in my mind, if I'm going to get this character over, and even our conversation prior to the interview today, and, and, and even recently on social media, you know, I, there was a guy posted something from last Friday. He said, he said, can you speak English? Dude, until like, <laughs> like right now, like I did, oh my gosh, you're not, you're not from Russia. And, um, so I, it was a, just a mindset for me, and I come to learn a term years later. I didn't know this is what I was doing, but it, I guess it's called method acting. Sure. And and without having any acting lessons, that's what I did. I just projected myself in that role and thought, if I really want to get this character over, this is what I have to do, and that's what I did. So there's a guy out there for wrestling fans. You know him as Smash. From Demolition, you also know him as the Repo Man. Way later on in WCW, um, Barry Darso played the role of the Blacktop Bully. However, what a lot of people don't realize is that he, Barry Darso, actually another guy from Minnesota, 
actually was one of the, the Russians as well with, with Nikita and, and Ivan. He came in as Crusher Khrushchev. What made Barry Darso such a good fit in that Russian stable with you guys? Well, and, and he's not just from Minnesota. He came from Robbinsdale, Minnesota. There you and, go. Uh, he graduated a year after me. We played on the same football team together as well, along with Rick Rude and, and Kurt Henning. And, but, um, you know, Barry, again, Barry got in prior to me while I was still finishing a college career. Uh, he, had, he had got involved. He was in Louisiana. Uh, with Bill Watts in the Mid-South and actually wrestling with uh, with uh, Nikolai Volkov in the Mid-South. So he had already, uh, you know, and it was kind of the Russian turncoat. He was kind of the the version of Don Cernodal, uh, uh of the Mid-South, right? Don Cernodal was an American turncoat with Ivan. Barry was American turncoat with, with Nikolai. And then we just, you know, at some point I reached out to him. I said, hey, Come on to the up to the Carolinas, man. We'll 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 tag you with the Russian name Crusher Khrushchev, and uh, you can be our third wheel, and and we'll we'll have some fun with the world belts, world tag belts, and the six man titles. So I have to tell you too. Um, you know, I'm 38 years old now, but as a kid, I, I finally remember watching you and 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 watching you know Demolition Smash, which again is Barry Darso. Do you still talk with him? Are you, can you still you know send him a message if you needed to? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, 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 we talk. In fact, when I, I still make trips occasional back to Minnesota. I still have, you know, family up there, who, you know, who migrated from, from Moscow. But, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but um, I, so, yeah, in, in fact, you know, we, we've gone to lunch a, a handful of times when I've been up there and reached out to him. And, you know, he's got a very, uh, very thriving printing business up there in, yes. in Minnesota, and yep. with one of our old uh, high school high school mates, and uh, and then we'll see each other at Legends Autograph Sightings from time to time, and, and and catch up. Yeah, if you could, you know, I don't normally ask this of guests, but we've been trying to get uh, Smash on the show. I actually didn't realize he retired. Um, I'd called his print shop last week when I was trying to book some guests. So if you, you know, next time you talk to him, if you could shoot him uh, my phone number, I would be forever grateful. Uh, I will, I will put an encouraging plug in for you. (laughs) Thank you. Let me make sure I get done with your interview first and impress you first. So (laughs) after, uh, after a run as a six man tag champions. And again, I always encourage fans to look into that as well. NWA had a six man tag championship that you were a part of. Eventually, you go on, and I thought this was really, really cool because you would end up teaming with Dusty Rhodes one day. But before you teamed with Dusty Rhodes, you were against him and Manny Fernandez for the NWA Tag Championships. Now, I ask you this kind of a two-part question. What was it like to wrestle against Dusty Rhodes? What was it like to wrestle with Dusty Rhodes? And just how special was he? Well, uh, gosh, it, uh, great, great questions. Uh, and really... You know, even prior to defeating him and Manny for the world tag belts, uh, that I, as Ivan and I did, uh, I worked an angle with Dusty. We did a, we, he came into the territory, and first thing he did is we did a, believe it or not, we did a, because he was a, a really great athlete back in his, you know, younger days, college days. And, and it was very, uh, as fans followed him, you know, he was a very, just a gifted athlete through his whole career, uh, especially with the microphone. But um, we did an arm wrestling thing, and, and so we had a lot of single matches against each other. And again, kind of took me under his wing and was teaching me some of the old school psychology of wrestling. 
went on to beat him for the belts uh, and and was in some memorable matches. And then, uh, as many fans know, became the superpowers and came to his rescue against the four horsemen in the cage in Charlotte, North Carolina, and and went on to do really sellout business for well over two years wherever we went. It didn't matter. And, and so just a unique opportunity to be on both sides of the fence and especially uh, his part as his partner and travel with him. We traveled exclusively many times together in his convertible red, uh, red Mercedes Benz to towns. And, and looking back on it, he really honestly carries a special place in my heart because I consider to be one of the creative geniuses of wrestling you know, developing the Great American Bash, the War Games, and the Best of Seven series with Magnum TA, and so many other things. So, really, really great memories of of Dusty as a personal friend outside of the wrestling business. Yeah, and I always felt it would have been great now with Cody uh, Runnels running AEW if they could have had the Great American Bash move to AEW's you know promotion. They're not going to do it. I think WWE owns the rights, but. You know, all that aside, it just it was, you know, because for a kid like myself who wasn't always in the best shape, I was always super, super skinny. You know, I was the opposite of Dusty Rhodes. I was a skinny pencil neck geek, as, uh, you know, Freddie Blassie would call me. But, you know, Dusty Rhodes, just he was the opposite. He was, you know, I don't, there's no polite way to say this, but he was a big fat guy. And, and, and for him to be as agile as he was and have that charisma, you know, I think that gave people without the best bodies inspiration. Like, hey, you could do this. You could do anything you want in life. I think that always made him great. Um, so I had Ricky Morton on the show uh, Saturday morning. I talked with Ricky Morton for a while. He was probably the longest interview we've ever done. And he wanted me to ask you about the time you headbutted him. So I don't here, – here's the thing. I research these interviews. I mean, first of all, I've been watching wrestling my whole life. I'm a diehard. I research, I research, I research. I know nothing about this story. So you're going to have to fill me in. <laughs> so it was really uh... – uh, it was really, <laughs> it was my first main event match. And so again, to give you a condensed version of the story, for those who don't know my, my story, again, go on the website and, and read about it. But I broke into professional wrestling with, with no amateur wrestling background, no zero professional training prior to my, my first match on television in the, in the Jordan Arena Raleigh, and, and 11 seconds later, I had my first win. <laughs> Fast forward maybe two, three months, and we're in uh, we're wrestling in South Carolina, and they throw me in the ring in, in a tag match with the, with the rock and roll. And, it's, you know, I'm just, again, I'm just a few months into this thing. I mean, I barely, I don't even really know how to tie up, and, and, so I, I come, you know, Ricky and I are in the ring, and, and we're gonna we're gonna lock up, and you know I'm like a bull in a china shop, <laughs> and and he knows he doesn't he doesn't know anything, he, and man, but when we, and so I would when we tie up, I guess you're gonna the, the listener have to kind of visualize this, but you know I'm, my head's down and I'm intense because that's just how I was, and he ties up and and, and man we 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 smash foreheads and he's. <laughs> He staggers back into his corner. He looks at Robert and gives him a few colorful words. He goes, what the heck? Who, who is this? You know, who is this guy? He goes, Robert, watch this. I'm going to teach this kid a lesson. <laughs> and and we lock up the next time. 
And, and instead, again, for those who maybe don't, I don't know, you don't know what a lockup is, but he puts his elbow forward and my forehead rams right into the tip of his elbow and I stagger back into my corner. And I'm like, Ivan, what the heck just happened there, right? <laughs> All that to say, I never locked up with my head down ever again. <laughs> I, eyes up, paying attention to what was going on. So credit Ricky Morton for teaching me how to properly lock up in a ring. Oh, that's hilarious. I'm just glad you didn't, get, you didn't get split open because sometimes if you catch an elbow the wrong way in the forehead, it'll, it'll just cut you right open. That is a great yeah. story, though. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I got I don't think I, that I recall that that day, but I but I definitely had a little wealth on my forehead. I can thank you, Ricky Morton. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So I wanted to ask you too. You know, the Road Warriors. Obviously, you talked about Joe a little bit earlier. How tough were they to work with in the ring? And I don't say that to be negative at all. I'm not, that's that's not where I'm going with this. But you know, how stiff were they? How how um? I mean, did you you had to feel that you were in there? After a Road Warriors match, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that you had to have felt like, wow, it's a long day at the office. Well, again, a great question. Let me, let me, let me, let me make a comment on something along with the Road Warriors because you know the sure. the Road Warriors had, a, a, of course, a, obviously a very different look. I mean, you know, dating back to superstar Billy Graham and you know, and even Jesse Ventura, they were kind of the. The, the forerunners of, of, you know, muscled up guys for wrestling. But the Road Warriors, of course, brought a very different look with the paint on their faces and the mohawks and, the, you know, the different things eventually, spiked shoulder pads and other things that bring. But the comment I want to make is, you know, going back to Dusty and, and what you said about Dusty and, and really what made wrestling, I believe, unique in that era was whether it's a, you know, an overweight guy or, or a muscled up guy or, you know, or, or two little guys like the Rock and Roll Express or someone who uh, was gifted and smooth as a Ricky Steamboat or a Magnum TA, you know, that's what made wrestling unique in that era was all the different looks of guys. And then the common man, what did Dusty always say, man? You know, I'm the son of a plumber from Alton, Texas, baby, yeah, if you will. And, and, but he gave the common guy some inspiration to say that if, if he can do it, maybe I can do it too. Right. So I say all that to lead into the road warriors and, and it was, it was eye for an eye. And what I mean by that business is, is I was every bit as stiff as they were. So if it was going to be a long day at the office, as you said, it, you know, it was, it was going to be delivered as much as it was going to be received. But I say that to say that was, their style of wrestling. It was my style of wrestling. And what made the matches with Magnum TA and the best of seven uh, very memorable to fans was the snug, I'll use that term, mm -hmm. snug style that we, we worked with. But that snug style gave believability to the matches. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I remember watching that as a fan. And, it, and it's funny, too, because you transitioned perfectly into my next question. It's almost like you had it in front of you because my literally my very next question was going to be about Magnum TA. And, you know, fans my age re will remember Magnum TA being able to actually watch him wrestle. And, you know, I, this could be a very short answer or a long answer. However you, however you want to take this is fine. But I'm just dying to know, you know, because I've talked to several people 
had he not had his tragic accident, would do you think he would have been one of the greatest wrestlers of all time? Because the path he was on so early into his career, it was shaping up to be that way. He had the look, he had the charisma, he just seemed to have it. Do you think Magnum TA would have been the greatest, one of the best we'd ever seen? Absolutely, he had the it. Uh, uh, Jimmy the Greek uh, back in the day used to call it the the the, the intangible. Magnum had the intangible factor, and 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 he was being groomed to be the world heavyweight champion. Not only uh, would I think he would have had a very long, successful career, and and you may or may not ask this question, but I've been asked it recently. Had he not had the accident, of course, we'll we'll never know the answer to this question. Sure. But but had he not had the accident, would Nikita Koloff have become? a good guy, a baby face, a partner of Dusty Rhodes in a superpower. Well, we don't know for sure. However, looking back, my, my guess would be possibly not, meaning because of the chemistry he and I had in the ring and what we did with that series, the best of seven with the U.S. title, a very unique uh, series, he would have went on to win the world title he and I probably would have went back and forth exchanging that belt, you know, mm-hmm. a, a few times anyway, a handful of times, and had a long career against each other as well. You know, it's amazing. You've now done it three questions in a row where you have actually transitioned into my next question. So. <laughs> <laughs> script how about that folks i don't even hey that name is that leads into why the wrestling's so different today than back then we didn't have scripts back then we did a spontaneous improv called it on the fly and this is definitely chemistry you know and i always said you never want to you know sometimes you never want to meet your heroes because every now and then they could turn out to be a jerk and break your heart so it's it's really cool to meet someone i looked up to and you're actually a good guy. And like we're, the chemistry is off the charts. So I do appreciate that. No, I so, appreciate, thank you. Oh, gosh, yeah, no problem. So, again, so transitioning that. So here's the thing, guys. And, and everybody, like you said, go to coloff.com, read all about it. But listen, so with Magnum TA out, they had to turn um, Nikita face. Okay, so you, you take this, this, heated, or this hated Russian with a lot of heat on him, and you turn him baby face, which is basically unheard of. He's able to pull it off, which leads me to my next question then. Which was, what did it mean to you to be chosen to wrestle the great Ric Flair at Starcade 1986? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, and of course, you know, preceding that, since Gene, so the very first ever Great American Bash, 1985. Uh, let's back up just a little bit more backstory for your mm-hmm. listeners. So I'm only 13 months into the wrestling business. 13 months. Again, no amateur background no professional training and I'm already world tag team champion and world six man champion. And now I'm wrestling nature boy, Ric Flair for the world heavyweight champion in front of 25, 30, 35,000 people at the first ever great American bash. That in itself was a, an experience, uh, in a, a learning experience for sure. It shortened the curve on my learning because um, I've always said Rick, Rick could make a broomstick look good, and and because he, he made the Russian nightmare look good. Fast forward a year and a half or so later to this to Starcade '86, 
And now it's flipped, right? When I went into the ring in 85, as you said, as one of the most hated guys in wrestling already at that time, he was wrestling as the babyface. Now it's flipped, though. Now I am, I've come in as, as the babyface in, in Starcade 86, and he's wrestling as the heel. And, and it was every bit as electric that night as it was at the American Bash in 85. Um, and in, in a polarizing way. Um, and, and so I'm very grateful, thankful to have had the experience on both sides of the fence um, to be able to both be a fan favorite, but also, you know, be at one point the number one most hated guy uh, in wrestling. And wrestling was, if you want to say, you know, you, you, you said the Road Warriors was like you, a long day at the office. Well, Rick wasn't, even though I had many 60 minute matches against him mm -hmm. and, and was sucking a lot of wind, it was still, in a sense, a night off just because of the consummate professional that he was so moving on you know towards the end of the interview thank you again um when you came back you know to wcw uh one of the guys there at the time was sting steve borden and sting to me was probably one of the most popular wrestlers in wcw history and i would even go adventure to say maybe nwa as well if you want to intertwine the two because obviously you know jim crockett promotions and 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 all that becomes wcw but to me you know sting was one of the easiest guys to root for as a fan why do you you know what was it about him what were some of the intangibles and there's that word again that we love intangibles about sting that really made the fans go crazy for him because you had one hell of a feud when you came back yeah he just had that you know he his his whole character that he developed, uh, both, you know, when he had more of the flashy, you know, blonde spiked hair, flashy, and then eventually, you know, went to, I get, what do they term it, the, the crow look or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he just had a certain look about him, and just even his his ring attire and 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 um, and his the matches themselves, he became he became just a, such a a ring technician, you know, that he knew how to draw the fans into, into the story, whatever story was being told, whether it was him and I feuding against one another or eventually in the latter part of my career, you know, teaming up together. He just had that ability to draw people, draw the fans into the story and and was just like you said a very likable character you know on on either side the the mystery about him you know he said something earlier about you know lord works in mysterious ways and there was just a a mystery about his character that and the way they told the story that i think fans really just gravitated towards and so steve was steve was amazing he was really amazing so, two, uh, you know, a couple questions left here as we wind this up, and I thank you so very much. We've, you know, transitioned again there as well. You know, we've seen a lot of guys, uh, yourself, um, Lex Luger, and, and Sting, and I'm just going to use you three as the example. And really, I mean, even Ted DiBiase as well. We've seen a lot of um, professional wrestlers after retirement, you know, kind of spread the message of the Lord. And that's a big deal to me uh, as a devout Christian uh, my whole life. 
You know, when I see professional athletes do that, I absolutely love that. I think that's the one of the best messages they can give. You know, so were you, I guess, not really surprised, but, you know, when you saw guys like Sting and also, you know, really more so a guy like Lex Luger, who really was way out there for a while and kind of, you know, had to have a tragic accident happen to him that kind of come back around, you know, how positive is that, that we have role models, you know, in the world of professional wrestling who could come out of character talk about their relationship with the Lord. And then for you personally, can you tell us a little bit about fellowship of the sword? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And, uh, I think for, for your listeners to understand, you know, they might, some might be asking the question, well, why, you know, why, why is that? Why, is, why do these guys, you know, and in a number of them retire from wrestling and then seem to, to all of a sudden, you know, find a, a platform with ministry and, and I know Steve's story very well because I've mentored and discipled him when he made his decision to give his life to the Lord in August of 98. I know Lex's story extremely well. When April 23rd, 2006, he surrendered his life to Jesus. Um, so he used those two guys as examples. And, and what both of them and others have discovered is no matter how, no matter what level you achieve in, in success in life, no matter how high a ladder you climb or what pinnacle you reach, really, there, there's a built-in, I like to say, a, eternity is built into every one of our hearts by the creator of the universe. And, and so there's a void there uh, in our hearts until we surrender our heart and our life to Jesus. There's, a, there's always a void there that people run after, chase after success and all these other things, whether it's in the corporate world or championship belts or trophies or Super Bowls or whatever else, whatever it is, Major League Baseball, you know, you take pick a sport, Stanley Cup in hockey, you know, whatever it is, right? Guys are running after the brass ring. Women are running after, uh, after success only to realize at the end of the day, it still leaves a, a, a void and emptiness. I know for me, you know, I was successful, but I was unfulfilled. I became a world champion and had a notoriety around the, around the world in, in, in some ways, but yet I was unfulfilled uh, in my pursuit of success. And it was only, you know, for me, 17 October 1993, that, uh, and by the way, I did, I did grow up in church uh, in Minnesota or in Moscow. I didn't, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't grow up in church. You know, I understood the story of salvation. I understood it in my head, but that story never made the 18 inch trip from my head to my heart. And when it did in 1993, October 17th, you know, my life forever changed. I mean, I, I went from successful to becoming an unfulfilled to becoming instantly fulfilled. And my life took on a whole new meaning of significance. And I realized wow, I'm here on this planet to do more than just entertain fans in a wrestling ring uh, and, and, you know, to talk on, on interviews. And there's a higher purpose for my life. And now I have fortunately been blessed to spend the last 25 plus years. I've now traveled to all 50 states. I've traveled so far to 30 different countries, sharing the gospel, preaching as an evangelist, but also teaming up with Lex Luger. He and I, in fact, we just a few weeks ago finished an event called Man Camp. Um, people check it out on mancamp.info, I-N-F-O, mancamp.info. He and I co-facilitate. We have Both of us have a real heart for men 
and to minister to men and help them be healthy. Of course, with our, our backgrounds in, in health and wellness, we incorporate health and wellness. We incorporate to having the right mentality, a, a championship mentality, uh, and what it takes to be successful. But also we share our spiritual journeys in these camps that we do now with small groups of men and and our goal is to impact for the ladies listening out there our goal is to send your men home better equipped to be men of god godly husbands godly fathers and to fulfill the, the call on their life and so um in a nutshell that's uh, that that would summarize uh, I, I hope or somewhat answer your question yeah absolutely and you know the one thing i would share too for people out there listening is that even in my own life and my own career, okay, you know, I've been on, I've been able to do the TV stuff and the radio stuff and, you know, having nine published books, all that's well and great. But I'll tell you something right now. I don't think I've ever been happier than I was the night my first daughter was baptized. Just, just something about it, man. And like, and it just, it was such a feeling. And I just, she was like glowing in my arms. And to explain something like that and, and to see your kids born and know that, you're going to bring them to Jesus and, and understand that is so, so important because you can be the richest man in the world or you can be the most famous man in the world. But if you're not at peace with the Lord, in my mind, you have nothing at all. And that's that's just something I, I feel so strongly about. And like I told you with Barry Darso, Barry Darso, same message goes for Lex. I mean, please pass on the information. We would love to have him on, you know, and, and talk about the message both you guys are spreading because I just think, you know, more so than a wrestling career, to me, that answer that you just gave is more important than anything else we've talked about. So really appreciate it. I appreciate it. You just said something real key. No matter how much you have, uh, without that personal relationship with, with the Lord, you, you really do have nothing. You, you, you think you have everything when, when in reality you have, you have nothing because eternity is real. And, and you know, one, one day we're all we'll all face it. And it was great to hear a little bit of your story as well. And you're right about the books. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm working on a brand new book right now and, and, and adding several new chapters to, to my last book, Nikita, a tale of the ring and redemption and telling more of my story from over the last, the last few years, I'm adding, uh, adding some new stories there, and one other thing, real quick. Sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a special chapter in there called, I think we're gonna call it your stories. And what I mean by that is, is you know, I, I've asked over the last couple of months, fans and churches and places I've spoke or you know, autograph signing places I've been, that if somebody has a story on how I some way, whether it's been encouraged or. Oh, or scared scared them to death, like you said. I scared you to death when you were a kid. <laughs> uh, but uh, if they have a story on somehow how I've impacted their life or made a, an impression or a difference, you know, send me that story, and I'm going to include some of those stories in, in the revision of of of, uh, of a Ring of Redemption. And so some people might actually see see their name in print. So I'm going to do that as well. So oh, that'd be amazing. Well. We want to thank you. You know, one last question for you, too. Um, how special was uh, your NWA Hall of Fame induction in 2008? Mm. It was, I mean, you know, the Hall of Fames, you know, people ask me, uh, don't, you know, you want to get in the WWE Hall of Fame? I'm like, you know what? Most important to me 
personally is not if I get it. I would rather see Ivan Koloff get in because he, I feel he deserves it. I mean, oh, he dedicated yeah. 40, 50 years of his life to professional wrestling. If anyone deserved it, it would be Ivan. Um, the NWA was special because I, I tell people I'm, I'm a loyalist. I, I've been loyal to the NWA my whole career. We didn't really talk about it, but but I really had no interest in going to WWF, uh, WWE. Sure. Uh, really, uh, Jim Crockett gave me my break and my chance. And then it, it, to be inducted in, into uh, Dan Gable's uh, uh, the, the um, Hall of Fame up in Waterloo, Iowa, for the avid wrestling fan, go up to Waterloo, Iowa, the Dan Gable Museum, and uh, there's an amazing, what I consider one of the most amazing Hall of Fames uh, on the planet up there in Waterloo, Iowa. And, uh, you know, to be uh, inducted in uh, that Hall of Fame as well as the NWA was was very, very special. And so I appreciate that. Uh, you appreciate you asking. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, guys, check out Koloff.com. Check out all of his books. They're phenomenal. I will say this, too about his about his loyalty and I really want this to sink in. You know, in nineteen eighty seven he would have had a chance to leave with Barry Darso to the WWF. Instead he didn't. He chose to stay with NWA. That shows a ton of loyalty right there. So again, you know, thank you so much for coming on. I will send you a link to this when we're all done. And is there any uh, messages you wanna you know, any lasting messages or anything you want to go ahead and plug for all the fans out there to, to learn more about you and your message? Sure, I appreciate it, and they can follow me. I know you're saying, Koloff, let's make sure they're clear, Koloff.org. Yes. Yep. Koloff.org, if you want to learn about the ministry, Lex and I facilitate, mancamp.info, I-N-F-O. If you want to follow me on social media, just uh, real quick, Instagram, Twitter, just Nikita Koloff with the number one behind it. That's that's the real me. And uh, I do have a Facebook presence, and if you – if you want to know which one is really me on Facebook, you, know, you brought up a name. There's three guys standing in a river, and I don't know. Did you do any research on that? Would you guess what river we're standing in there, Vince? Uh, go right ahead. Well, it's it's the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, myself, and a, a wrestling friend of ours, Jason Sanderson. We're actually standing in the Jordan River because we were taking turns baptizing each other. Oh, you man. mentioned baptizing your daughter. Yeah, we were baptizing each other in the Jordan River in Israel, and uh, so that's the real me on Facebook. If you if you want to follow me on Facebook, that is incredible. Yeah, and I mean, I saw uh, you know Ted DiBiase had the documentary come out um, a couple years ago on DVD, and I just thought that was amazing too. And the sacrifice his own son has made to walk away from wrestling to you know be with his family is just incredible. So. Honestly, thank you so much. I'll talk to you real soon. I'm going to send you a message later today. And uh, I, I truly appreciate everything you've done for me in my life and my career. The inspiration is, is, is definitely there. And thank you again. For all you listeners out there, you listen in to Key on Sports, you do it. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks again. I'll talk to you soon. Bye now. That was awesome. Uh, it's hard not to mark out when you have on one of your favorites. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what else to say. Just amazing. So I want to thank um, Nikita Koloff. Uh, check out koloff.org, not .com, koloff.org. Uh, buy his books and just learn about his life because it really, truly is amazing. Hopefully he can get word to Barry Darso and Lex Luger as uh, that would be huge for us as well. We would love to talk to those guys. For Keon Sports, I am Vince McKee. Everybody have a blessed day. Thank you again.